Welcome to Slapshot Podcast, episode number 23. I am your host, Chris Romarez. Thank you for joining me today. This is beautiful. It's Sunday for me. Sunday fun day. Hopefully it's a good day for you whenever you're listening to this. Um, I'm super stoked about today for me personally as well. I get to return to playing ice hockey today. So in a couple of hours, I'll be skating on a fresh surface of ice, which I have been dreaming of doing now which seems like forever since this pandemic started but it obviously hasn't been forever but i am i'm excited that brings a little bit of i guess normal back to my life being able to return to hockey even though there's certain you know restrictions and conditions and whatnot it doesn't matter i get to return to playing hockey which is what makes me happy and hopefully the nhl will return to its well not season but Cross phase three, cross phase four, and then hopefully award a Stanley Cup. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about that, right? Three, four. So many things have been happening um, since the last episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the CBA and what that means for the players, what that means for the NHL, what that means for all of us in particular. First, we're going to start with the hub cities because unless you live under a rock and you have no idea, the NHL has picked two cities as their hub cities when hopefully the NHL returns to play. Those two cities are Toronto and Edmonton. And right, so in the last podcast, I kind of ranked one to five, um, which cities I thought. I really thought Vegas would be there. And it was really Vegas's to lose. And they ended up losing it because, well, the United States can't control their coronavirus cases, which shame on the United States. But anyways, Moving on, moving on from that. Now, obviously, Vegas had everything that they needed to do. They have the arenas, obviously. They have the accommodations for the players and stuff. Not, but as coronavirus cases continue to go up, and the you know more and more people are getting the virus and everything, you know, staff as well as getting it right. You have to create this kind of bubble, and you got to make sure that the people in that bubble too are safe, right? That that includes if you're, you know. Putting all these players in hotels rooms, well, you, you got to make sure that staff as well of the hotel are, you know, not exposed to coronavirus, which was, in my mind, the part where everything fell apart for Vegas, right? They could not make sure that their staff would be healthy. And if you have a lot of staff getting sick, you expose them to, you know, directly to the players. And it, good on the NHL. I honestly, there was a part of me that said, well, maybe they would do it, right? Pick two Canadian cities. But there's always this part of me that's sitting there going, well, you know, they got to try to sell hockey in the United States a little bit. It doesn't make sense. And kudos to the NHL for saying, look, Canada's done a very good job of controlling coronavirus cases. I don't think anybody would question that. The cases here in Quebec are super low. Cases in Ontario are super low as well. Edmonton practically has none. So, despite this whole pandemic going on, the safest place to have players be right now is in Canada. That we can all agree on. It's not anywhere in the States, right? It's not anywhere in Florida. Like, you know, MLS is holding their kind of tournament, right? Major League Soccer, for those who don't follow, are they're holding their tournament in Orlando, right? That's where the NBA wants to return as well. Like Florida is a major hotspot. 
I think the NHL, and again, I may be biased here, but I think the NHL is in an excellent position to return, to return safely, and to have the least amount of players contract the virus once they return. Do I think that there may be players that do get coronavirus when they return? I think there's a possibility. And it wouldn't shock me if it happens. The NHL has put their protocols together. You know, there's... Who knows, right? Is all I'm saying, right? Canada's done a good job, like I said, of controlling this. So the the likelihood that it happens is it's still there, but it would be from players coming externally, right? So players coming from the United States, players coming over from Europe. Um, The Canadian government has lifted the mandatory 14-day self-quarantine period for NHL players who are traveling to the country. So the Canadian government has participated with the NHL and saying, hey, we'll lighten restrictions here so you can get all this done. So obviously the Canadian government sees... Um, something that needs to be done here. And I think by doing it in Canada, where the cases are con- are very, very small, everything seems to be controlled, you're going to get a lot more players who are going to say, hey, okay, I'll do this. And I think that's the number one thing at some point. Because you look, look at right now baseball. Maybe you don't follow baseball very closely, but there are players in baseball who are coming out and saying, hey, I'm, I'm not returning. Maybe the biggest name, I guess, for now that's come out has been David Price of the LA Dodgers. He's come out. And he says, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm not returning. I, I won't finish. The, I, he won't even play the season. Right? Like baseball has sixty games to go, and he's like, no. Now, obviously, baseball isn't set up in the same way that the NHL is. Just as baseball has no hub cities, right? They wanted to play sixty games. The owners did, right? And there doesn't seem to be a plan to have just a couple of hub cities or whatnot. So in my mind, I think baseball is just going to travel everywhere, which is probably the dumbest thing you could do right now during a pandemic. So it makes sense that certain players are saying, well, I'm not going to put myself in that kind of danger. Now, on the NBA side, you know, it's, I guess, a little bit different. They're going to have a hub city. It's in Orlando. It's it's different. Um, again, it's it is what it is at this point, but holding hosting the NHL deciding to have both their hub cities in Canada, and they still respected the one in the east, one in the west. Now we do know that Edmonton is going to host the Stanley Cup Finals. It's already been decided and whatnot. And I know some people are, you know, Ryan Kessler came out and you know laughed a little bit at the fact that it's Edmonton, which I mean. Jokes, I guess, on Ryan Kessler, right? I mean, I don't remember the last time he's played a meaningful hockey game. But anyways, let's leave that aside. Edmonton during the summer is not the same as Edmonton in January. Now, I've never been to Edmonton. I live in Canada. It's cold here. It's colder out west in the prairies. Fine, right? So, again, Edmonton is a great city for this to for this event to go on if you want to call it this is what i'm calling i don't think it's a regular playoff scenario i think it's an event here and if you want to convince players and really the league if they want to step up and say look we care about your health we want to make sure you're protected we will do everything that we can to protect you 
and make sure that you don't get sick or that your family doesn't get sick or whatnot. And, you know, give the NHL credit. They said, look, we'll do it in Canada. That's what it is. They've chosen Western Conference City. They've chosen Eastern Conference City. You have to cater a little bit to the east and to the west to make sure the central is kind of in the middle so it doesn't really affect them but you got to make sure that you get it and i think as they got closer to having to decide on two hub cities and as all these coronavirus cases in the united states start to just explode upwards right i mean florida's setting you know record amount of cases every day other parts of the united states are having massive problems texas is talking about maybe scaling back trying to, you know, not gradually open everything up again. This was the right call. It's what needed to be done. Good for the NHL here in this case. So I'll give Gary and, you know, his staff credit. I'll give the owners credit where the, you know, where credit is due at that point, you know, and then, and now we'll wait for the players to see how they, you know, react to this. For now, there hasn't been any player who has said, I'm not returning. So I think that's a, very positive sign for the league i would hope that all these players do attend but again i would fully understand if some players said i'm not doing this i i don't need to i don't want to and i think that's what people have to remember players don't have to do this okay they don't have to owners and the league can set everything up but at the end of the day right it's the league is trying to generate some revenue here. That revenue, yes, it goes to the players, but the you know players will be fine, right? Just like owners will be fine as well. But the players are the ones putting their lives at risk, not owners, right? I'm not worried about Jeff Molson's life, you know, as much as I'm worried about the entire Montreal Canadiens roster and those players who have to play. So that's how I see it in my eyes. I do expect a large number, almost, I, I wouldn't say 100% of players to attend. I do think there may be a couple that just say, look, I'm not doing it. I don't know how many, but so far, the NHL has done everything they needed to do to make sure that players can return safely and that they don't get any interruptions and that players don't get sick during the playoffs either. That's important as well, right? Um so yeah, that's good too. I also wanted to touch a little bit here on um, the NHL draft. And I know there's been a lot of people who have kind of just... Like, I talked about it on the last podcast, right? And people are still kind of up in arms about it. They're saying that the system's not fair. And you're saying, okay, well... Why don't you return to a system like you do, let's say, in the NFL, right? The team that finishes last in the NFL gets the first overall pick, which in this case would have been Detroit. Now, what the league is trying to do here and what I understand the league's goal is to make sure that teams don't tank. And to be honest, are there a lot of teams that tank? I wouldn't say conventionally tank, like roster terrible lineups in order to lose like Detroit was a terrible team there's nothing they could have done more to tank any quicker right they were just not good fine and teams can make their teams worse right by just trading players away to make sure they you know finish lower in the standings and that's fine 
I have no problem with the way that it's set up now. Because right now, and it's been a couple of years like this, the team that finishes last doesn't get the first overall pick. They come close, but they don't actually get the first overall pick. And I think it's a big enough deterrent maybe for some teams to say, well, you know what? Maybe I don't need, or maybe I won't, you know, maybe I won't tank completely. Because there's probably some teams that take decisions saying, hey, how can we weaken our roster, right? Maybe there's a couple of teams that say, well, we don't need to technically weaken our roster. We'll just, you know, maybe we'll try to compete. The goal is to, again, the goal is to try to get teams to compete, right? The Detroit Red Wings of this season are just on a whole other level of garbage. But people are mad that, well, there's a team that's potentially, and again, this is a very unique situation. Because the way people are phrasing is, oh, a team that's in the playoffs is going to get the first overall pick. And I'm sitting there going, saying, well, no, because if you had a regular season that would have concluded and those teams didn't make the playoffs, right? Like the placeholder team that won had a 2.5% chance of winning. Those chances do not change, right? Now it's just they have to pick the team that goes that goes there, right? They have to pick, but... In all honesty, like let's say out of a wild example here, and I'm going way out of field here, okay? And let's say, I mean, it would not be likely, but Pittsburgh loses or they don't make the playoffs. Highly unlikely. But now they have to play the Montreal Canadiens. Anything can happen in a best of five series. Let's say has beat the Penguins. Penguins going to the draft lottery. All of a sudden, Penguins get the first overall pick. I can understand how some people are looking saying well Detroit probably needs a franchise winger and instead he's going to a team that has Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, uh, Chris Letang and all these other great players. I understand how that can be problematic okay now this is just the luck of pulling balls here okay that's this is what it is just as Pittsburgh benefited in some way during the lockout where they ended up getting the first overall pick. Look, this is what it is, right? So, again, because even though people are going to be unhappy when their teams don't win out on the draft lottery. So, obviously, you know, Senator fans are, I mean, Senator fans are the ones that are, like, the most pissed off. And I'm like, come on, you still have two picks in the top five. Like, let's not get greedy here. That's like that kid in school who got, like, 89 on his exam and he goes and he bugs the teacher for one extra point so we can say he got 90 right and you're like like calm down kid okay 89 90 doesn't make a damn difference like stop begging for marks when you're so high up there that's that's how i kind of see ottawa center fans anyways i just wanted to touch on that quickly because to me i would leave it the way it is if you're against that system from the beginning i mean hey and this just fuels your fire. But unlike the NFL, I don't want teams to kind of intentionally kind of sell their roster out early and say, hey, we're just going to tank and try to get the first overall pick. Because what the NHL wants is teams to be competitive. When you have more teams that are competitive, more teams in a playoff hunt, it's better for the league. Everybody wants that. I want that. That's where we are. 
So yeah, that's on that. Let's move over here to the NHL CBA. So in order for the players, right, the players and the NHL had to agree on a CBA to get everything done. Um, it took a bit of time, but they did, right? They're working on finalizing and ratifying a new CBA extension. Now, there's a good chance that this CBA kind of gets done. It's not 100% signed in paper yet, okay? But from what I've gathered around reading, and again, there's, I mean, multiple people are covering you know, the CBA and what this means for the players, what this means for the NHL. There are some big wins here for the players, in my mind, which I think it's about time the players kind of get a little thing. And there's some parts here that the owners maybe are starting, that they feel maybe is a win, but they conceded in other places where I didn't think they would. I don't like talking about the CBA because the CBA just means there's a possibility of a lockout. So the quicker we can get this ratified, signed, done, finished, moved on, the happier I feel. That way we don't have to worry about will the NHL owners lock out players again, right? So let's go through some of the changes. These are just some of them that may happen, okay? That may. Let's start with the monetary part. So the cap ceiling is expected to remain at $81.5 million and can't go up until league revenue hits $4.8 billion. Now, in English, this means... So teams who are expecting, a lot of teams expect the cap to go up every year. Now, given what has happened with coronavirus, given about you know what's gone on in the world, revenue is expected to be down. Now, I don't think the league is going to lower the salary cap because that would really put some teams in a bad, bad situation, right? I.e. the Toronto Maple Leafs. So by the cap not going up, that is it problematic? Yes, because obviously... Contracts come up, players want to make more money, players want to sign for more money. I could see where maybe more teams end up making those kind those those trades where it's mostly money related. So if you think of the PK Subban trade when he went to New Jersey and he left Nashville, Nashville got like pieces, right? But everybody's looking at it and saying, well, you know, they, they didn't get anything. Well, they didn't want anything, really. They just wanted to unload a contract to a team. So I think you, if the cap stays there, and again, who knows when the league hits their revenue again, but the league's kind of saying, hey, if we don't get enough or fans can't return next year or you know, we don't get that money back or we can't hit what we think we should hit, well, the cap's going to stay where it is and that's it. So, I mean, it doesn't affect... It does affect every team in a way, but there are certain teams where this becomes super problematic. That's the first change that can happen here. The second one here we're looking at is players can opt out of the return to play okay, this summer without having any underlying conditions and they will not be penalized by the league. So I think that the league, even though they've picked two cities where coronavirus cases are low, infection rates are low, the chance of you getting sick, if players say, hey, I don't want to be here, the NHL is not going to penalize them in any way. That's a good point to have at that point. I think that's super important here for the players. I think that's something they probably wanted to negotiate really hard on and say, hey, let's go for this. Uh, another point here that's super, super important. The new extension is for about six years with an option to extend for one more. So they have six year. It's a six year CBA with an option for the seventh year. 
So for the next six years, we don't have to talk about the CBA. Again, this would make me super happy. I would even take the seventh at that point. Anyways, now let's get into some minor things here that are not as important. So the NHL minimum salary will move from 700000 750 Is that cool? Sure. Uh, important part here, players in Europe no longer need to clear waivers if they sign a deal by December 15th. This is a pretty big one here. So teams, if they want to go out and get players before... December 15th, they don't have to clear waivers coming in from Europe. I don't know many players that would come over from Europe before December 15th. I would think at that point, let's say, like Jesse Pujarvi, you know, he's he's holding out. He, he's going away. Let's say they, you know, or any other player, let's say, that's holding out. They can't get a contract done or whatnot. If they were to sign a deal and then, you know, he wouldn't have to clear waivers. Anyways, this part to me is just one of those things that's nice for players to be able to get. Uh, another important win here, I think, for players is the no move, no trade clause follows the player. So in the past, uh, the new team that you were going to could opt out of that clause. First of all, there's a lot of no trade, no movement clause or all types of things in players' deals. Players like to have more and more control about where they are going. There are players who waive their no trade clause to go to other teams, but there are also players who say, well, I negotiated this right. I don't want to go here. Okay, And that's fine. I've always believed that the way the contract is set up, you should have to honor it that exact way, right? So if you, let's say a player signs for X amount of money and, you know, they're paid out, obviously, you know, money is not paid out equally, sometimes evenly. It's paid out, maybe front-loaded more. Like if you're trading for a player, then you accept that. If his bonus is paid out on July 1st, if you trade from three days before July 1st, well, guess what? You got to pay his bonus money. Right, So I don't understand why the no trade or no movement clause in his contract would be an option for the other team. I think it should have been something that, like, I feel like this is something that should have just, like, common sense, but it wasn't. So now this would be in the new CBA. It's not an option for the team saying, okay, well, we can honor it or not. No, now you have no choice. The player negotiated it. If you want to trade him again, he's got to figure it out. Uh, another couple of minor things here. Um, there's no conditional picks anymore for teams, uh, for signing with the team and a team of player was traded. Let me explain. So example, um, you can no longer trade a player and say, Hey, we get a second round pick, but if he signs with your team, um, then that second round pick comes a first round pick. Let's say, no, you can't do that anymore. So it's no longer on a condition that a player signs. It's it's black and white here. If, 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 if he ends up signing with that team, you know, good for them. You can no longer have that condition attached to a trade. There's There can't be anymore. So, again, minor thing, but something to know. This maybe affects trades. Maybe teams will have to, you know, pay out a little bit more now, right? Maybe, you, maybe there'll be more first round or second round picks being traded. Instead of saying, well, you know what, we'll give you a third and... You know, and if he signs, well, then give us a first round pick. Maybe that caused a little problematics. Now it's now it'll be, I guess, more black and white on that. I'm assuming it's also a lot easier to navigate. Um, let's go with another one here. So no more front loaded deals. The NHL has lowered the the the, the variation 
to 35%. Originally, it was 50%, okay? So before, you could front load a contract up to 50% of the value. Now you can only do 35. So think of the Toronto Maple Leafs who like to do this with players or star players in general who get huge signing bonuses on July 1st, i.e. Mitch Marner, i.e. Austin Matthews. These two players collected a large sum of money on July 1st because they get paid very little in salary during the year and they collect a massive amount of money in signing bonus. So the NHL said, well, you can no longer do that to 50%, you can only front load it to 35. Think about the offer the offer sheet that was made last season. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens looking at Sebastian Ajo. It wasn't a lot of money, quote unquote, on paper, right? Per year, per term. What were the, what were the Montreal Canadiens trying to do? They were trying to front load that contract. The player also probably, that's why he signed it. He said, hey, this is a pretty good deal. It's probably his agent said, well, there's a pretty good chance that, you know, Carolina will match it, but you'll get all, most of your money up front. So the NHL has moved from 50 to 35%. I think that's a good way to do it. You know, on a player standpoint, I think this is maybe something they had to give up in exchange for certain other things that we're going to look at that they benefited from. Because now you can't get 50% of your money up front. You have to, you can only get a maximum of thirty five. So it is what it is. I don't think it's a map for a lot of players. Does it change much? I think more for superstar players. Those high front loaded contracts just don't exist anymore. Or they'll exist less, or they won't be to the numbers that we've seen them before. So that's good here. Um, the next couple of points. These to me are big wins for the players. These two final points. I'm looking. I think we've gone through eight now. Yeah. These two last ones, in my mind, are the most important ones for the players. Let's start with escrow. So escrow is the percentage um, that the players give back to the owners off their paycheck. So escrow will be 20% next season, which is, that's a lot. Imagine giving your employer 20% of the money that you make. It's, It's huge. But... That number will work its way down to six by the end of the 2023-2024 season, which is really low. I think the league is held around 10 to 14%-ish. So going all the way down to six is pretty good. That's a win for the players. There are This to me is something that the players probably said, hey, we're going to fix this escrow. Like It's really nice to get all this money, but we're giving you all this money back. And if you're not going to raise the cap, limit right because don't forget cap limit works both ways here right players want to make sure that the limits go up because then you have more money to dish out to them so if the cap limit is not going up and you're not front loading our contracts anymore well don't take the money that i have kind of in my pocket so that's how i see this this is a huge win for the players the breakdowns from what i understand the max would be 20 percent in 2021 18% in 2021-22. So the league is expecting that it won't fully recover financially next season. Um, And then it'll go down to 10%, 2022-23, and then 6% onwards, 2023-2024. That's pretty good. In my mind here, this is a huge sticking point for the players. I believe that this is the probably the one that they said hey we're going to figure this out and we want to make sure that we're not giving back that money giving 20 percent back to the owners is a lot of money 
So I think now they balanced it out a little bit. And towards the end, that's where they get to keep the most. And now if contracts are balanced out, again, this seems to me to be a huge win here. The second one that I find is a huge win for the players, but also for the owners, is the participation in at least the next two Olympics. Now, for the ages of forever, Gary Bettman and the league has been saying, well, we're not going to send our players to the Olympics. They didn't send them in the last one, right? Because they don't get TV rights from the IOC. They don't get this from the IOC. They don't get that. So the NHL was using it as a bargaining chip at the table saying, hey, we'll send you to the Olympics. Just extend the current CBA that we have and no problem, right? Which the players obviously were not going to do that because the current CBA didn't affect them in a positive way. I... I thought the owners would stick to this point a little harder, and they didn't. And maybe they realized that they might need the Olympics as a marketing platform for them. They might need it. They might need it for people to watch. It's a global stage. It's the best way to grow the game. The next one, I think, is in China. So why would you not want to be in China, right? We saw what the last Olympics looked like without NHL players. No offense to the players who participated. It's not NHL top quality players okay the the olympics are about having the best athletes in the world there i have no problem sending professional athletes to the olympics i want to see the cream of the cream right like creme de la creme i want to see the best players on the planet in one tournament sending nhl players in my mind makes sense now i know the owner now the reason i thought the owners would stick here more is because they still i i mean i don't think so i haven't read anywhere where they get maybe tv rights from the ioc or money like i feel like they got nothing out of this and for players this is just like this is like the nhl would still have to you know stop their season again which is what they were banging their heads against the wall saying we you know we have to stop the season for two weeks and that's a problem blah 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 and blah 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 blah, blah. now you look at it and you're saying, well, you still have to stop a season. You've done it now. Look at the chaos it's caused. So I'm like, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing as how the owners just kind of let this go now. Say, okay, fine. When for so long, they've been like, well, we get nothing. Players get injured. The money costs so much. To me, this benefits the owners as well. They just don't know about it yet. Or they pretend like they don't. Okay. I know these. you can go to the Olympics. Your player gets hurt. Then he comes back to his club and then let's say his club misses the playoffs and, you know, well, I got screwed out of it. I understand that. But sending your players to the best tournament in the world, which is the Olympics, every four years is what you should do. I know they had their stupid little cup there with Team North America and all that stuff. And that's nice, but it's not the Olympics. Okay. Players opted out of that tournament. It's not the same as the World Cup and stuff like that. Like it's not it's not representing your country the way that the Olympics are. Please ask any Russian player how they feel about representing their country at the Olympics. Like I'm sure Ovi is psyched about this. So again, to me, I feel like these last two points, the escrow and their participation at the Olympics are two things that probably the players stuck to really hard they gave up some things elsewhere fine they gained some things as well right i still think they gained certain things here even for the smaller players just the fact that the minimum salary in the nhl moves up to 750 that's a good thing right 
the fact that they're no trade, no movement clause, you know, will be honored through their entire contract is good. But going to the Olympics, I think, is something for the players personally that they want. I think it's something as well that owners will end up benefiting from. Because again, you get to showcase your players on the greatest stage. That's what you want to do. You want to, you know, all eyes are there. Who knows what the world is going to look like a year from now when the Olympics are held? Who knows how it's going to go? Who knows what we're going to be like as a society collectively with all this coronavirus happening? Will it be controlled? Will there be a third wave because the United States refuses to social, you know, distance themselves from each other? Who knows? We don't know. But Players get to participate in these tournaments, which I think is important. I think it benefits players. It definitely benefits owners. I just feel like, again, this is the part, like I said, that's just banging my head because I don't understand why they use it as a bargaining chip. And now they're like, okay, take it. It's fine. Right? Because I do think the play, I do think owners gave up quite a few things here on the CBA. I do. Maybe if, even if they're small, like the no movement clause and no trade clause. That's a power that they've taken away from a team. They've taken it away from an owner. If an owner doesn't want to respect it, he doesn't have to now. Now they're saying, well, no, you have no choice. This makes trading maybe a little bit difficult or where players can go. It's one of those things. I feel like, you know, owners gave up a lot. They should have, by the way. I'm not saying that it, that's a problem. You know, the players should benefit as much as possible. They deserve it. Not the owners here. But the escrow, I think, is a huge win for the players. Just the fact that they can get it all the way down to 6% in a couple of years is, is huge for players. Yes, they have to give back a ton of money next season. But to a lot of them, they look at it and say, okay, well, the next two years, you know, 12, what is it? Um, 20 and 18, I said? 20 and 18, yeah. 20 and 18 is their high numbers, right? So it's a big amount of money that, NHL players have to give back. But to lower it to 10 and 6 after that, it's not a bad day at the office, really. So good on the NHL, good on the players. I'm glad they were able. Now we'll see, though, if they sign this damn thing. Because, again, these are some of the changes. Okay, They still need to finalize it. So as of today, we are the... 5th of July. These are the these are the 10 key changes that would make the most sense. Or the 10 key changes that I've seen talked about as part of the new CBA or what the players are trying to finalize with the league. And again, I don't know how many times I will repeat this. Anytime you can finalize the damn CBA and not have to talk about escrow. I am all for it. Sign me up. I hate the word escrow. I hate CBAs. I'm still very, very like when 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 I hear lockouts and stuff like I like a part of me on the inside just like like it curls up and it's just like oh like this rage comes out because I'm like god damn it like all you know the lockouts come back to my mind and I'm like ugh it's garbage. Right, So anytime the league and the players don't have to fight over money because the league and the players don't necessarily get along, they just try to coexist and then everything falls apart when a new CBA is needed. So getting this done, signing it, 
puts everybody happy for at least six years so we don't have to talk about this again. We can get this, we can get this figured out. We can go back to some kind of normal life here. So again, those are the top changes that I enjoy. Um, and yeah, that takes a look at everything uh, Everything we want to talk about. Just before I end this, right, quick note again about, I know we talk about it and coronavirus and stuff like that and everything that the world's been going through. And definitely, like I said, in the United States, it's super important that we continue as a society to social distance, wear your mask when possible. And I think the reason I'm sticking here, I know in the United States, it is what it is. There's some people who don't want to wear a mask. And to me, I'm going to do everything I can so I can try to return to normal. I mentioned that I, you know, I get to play hockey today. I, there's a lot of things I hate about, you know, the rules that have been set up. So for example, we can't play five on five. We're going to play four on four. All right. I hate four on four. Okay. I don't need extra ice. I need the perfect amount of ice time so I can be most efficient, giving me more space on the ice or playing four on four. is just, it's not what I enjoy, but Hey, I still signed up to play. Uh, we have to show up to the arena half dressed 20 minutes before. Okay. So now I got to drive in the arena with my shin pads and my hockey pants on. And if you've ever done this, it's not comfortable, by the way. Okay. I don't like it. I still signed up so I can play. I got, I, I can show up 20 minutes before I got to be out of the arena in 20 minutes afterwards. Now for people who have played hockey with me or people, you know, who have waited for me at arenas, they know that it probably takes me 20 minutes just to decide that I'm going to get undressed, right? I can spend about an easy an hour after the game, just trying to get undressed. I don't even shower at the arena because like, forget it. I don't have time anymore. I do that when I get home. And it takes me forever to get under. Like I just sit there and I just like decompress for like 15, have a conversation with somebody about something. And then all of a sudden I look up and I see like half the room is empty. And I'm like, oh, I should probably like take off my skates now and like go, you know, do the rest here. Right. So there's that. Again, all these things I don't like, but because Quebec has done more than enough to social distance and make sure that we do not spread coronavirus, you know, I get to play some hockey. I get to return to a somewhat normal life. And to me, that's the most, the most I can do is protect myself and protect others. I do see people, you know, I was over at friends' places and whatnot, and there are some friends who are just like, hey, you're not going to give me a hug, you're not going to shake my hand, and that's fine. You know, to me, I know there's, you know, I know a lot of my friends do take precautions and whatnot. I know them. They're not strangers. I'll shake a friend's hand. I won't shake a stranger's hand. I'll, I'll give you that. Definitely not going to do that there. So um, there is that in a sense. But my point here being that if we continue to, to social distance and if we continue to just wear a mask and not put ourselves in situations where we can spread the virus quickly bars restaurant tight confined if you're gonna go there man wear a damn mask there are a lot of people sometimes at the grocery store at places and i'm like i walk in and there's a large majority of people that are not the people who are not wearing masks should be the minorities very small people right and again you can have all your beliefs 
about masks and whatnot. I don't believe that wearing a mask is dangerous. I've heard people talk about, yeah, but what about the CO2? And I'm like, calm down, bro, okay? Just calm down. Wearing a mask is not as, wearing a mask for that period of time, short period of time, I'm talking about going into the grocery store or when you can social, just wearing it for a short period of time, I can't understand as it being that problematic because doctors and nurses wear it all the time. And I don't see anybody worried about the, like nobody was worried about the the mask wearing for nurses and doctors for the last however many years since they've been wearing it. All of a sudden now people are doing something saying, yeah, but we're maybe wearing a mask doesn't, you know, it's not good for your heart rate because you can't breathe well. Like, okay, fine, far stretched person. But I just want to continue to point out that even though the pandemic in some places has been controlled, like I said, Canada's done a good job and we're being rewarded with two hub cities. Hard work has paid off here. And in other places around the world, it's it's controlled. You see some spikes going in certain places, but like this is not over. Just because there are low cases, this doesn't mean that it's over, right? And it's almost like when you go to the doctor, he gives you medication. He says, take it for 10 days. You have to take it 10 days. Even if you feel better after six, take it for 10 days. I remember that. I remember doctors used to tell me when I got prescription medication, if I was sick or whatnot, they say, hey, take it for the 10 days. Sometimes they'd say, okay, well, take it if you need it. If you're fine, then don't. But I, I remember doctors telling me for certain medications when I would get sick, take it for the entire duration. So the pandemic is not over. COVID-19 is not over. It is growing in certain places. The United States has a massive problem with this. Massive. Wear a mask where you can. Wash your hands. Practice social distancing. We all want to get back to what we love. But right now, we can't get there yet. We're close. We're moving in the right direction. There are lots of places who have flattened that curve and are trying to keep it as low as humanly possible. But we can still do this. And we need to keep doing it. Because if you want to see what it looks like when you don't do it, you take one look at the United States and you're going to get a really good picture of it. So my point here that I'm leaving you with is, again, Practice safe, you know, safe social distancing. Wear your mask. Do it for somebody else that you love. Don't do it for yourself if you think yourself is not worth it, which it should be. But anyways, do it for somebody else that you care. You wear a mask for somebody else. You don't wear it for yourself. Yes, it protects you, but it probably protects somebody else more. Humans are taught to be kind, to be nice, to be accommodating. This is the time that we can do it. You can do, you can save lives by wearing a mask. So please wear a mask if you cannot social distance, right? Let's treat let's treat others with kindness and respect. Understand that some people are going to be freaked out about this still. Some people are not going to want to shake your hand. Some people are not going to want to hug you. Some people are going to wash their hands 900 times with Purell. Don't laugh at them. Or if you do, a little bit, but... <laughs> Don't seriously don't laugh at them. This this is different for a whole bunch of people here, right? So remember that it's not because you feel safe that somebody else feels safe. Respect how they feel, 
just as they respect how you feel. Now, even friends, I asked before, hey, you okay if I, you know, give you a handshake, high five, what's not, what's up? I haven't seen you in a while. Some people tell me no. Some was like, yeah, man, no problem. All right. Respect that. We can do this together if we keep moving forward. Because I want to return to a reality where I can play five on five hockey, show up to the arena an hour early because it takes me forever to get dressed and then spend an hour after my game getting undressed because I'm even lazier after a game than I am before it. So yeah, practice safe social distancing. Thank you so much for listening. And we will do this again next week. Bye-bye. Yeah.